Hey guys, if I had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian and I'm one of the pastors here and I'm excited today uh, to kick off this new series called It's Just a Phase, So Don't Miss It. And I want to kind of let you know where we're going in the series, kind of at, at the onset here, what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. So I hope that you'll make plans to, to be with us and to, to, to bring some other people with you as well. Even though we're going to talk a lot about parenting in this series, I, I don't believe that this is just for people who have kids, but it's people who, uh, who, who raised kids, all right? So like if, if you've had, if, or people who had parents. Um, so if you had parents, then it applies to you, and you can learn a lot about how their parenting impacted you throughout the rest of this series. But um, it, it's a series for everybody, but we are going to focus in on the, the, the measure of influence that we have to leverage on kids specifically throughout all of the phases uh, of life. And so today we'll talk about how to think about the future in terms of phases. So today uh, I, I titled this message, See the Phase, See the Future. All right, and then next week, uh, next week we're going to talk about how to fight like a family, right? Because every family has some conflict, and we're going to talk about how to, how to manage conflict in your family. we talk about how to fight like a family and how to fight for your family. So we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, the week after that, we're going to dive into the, to the external influences on our family and how what happens in our family is bigger than just our family and how outside of us, those, how those influences work and how they impact what happens in our home and how what happens in our home affects what happens outside of our home. So we'll talk about that uh, in, the, in week three. And then the fourth and final week of this series, we're going to do a Q&A. We're going to assemble a panel of some parents, put them up here on the stage, and we're going to answer your questions in a series a sermon that we're just going to call Family Hacks. No, I couldn't come up with anything better. So that's what we're going to call it. So it's going to call it Family Hacks. We're going to have a panel of parents up here answering your questions. Now, if you're thinking, well, I've got some questions. How do I get them to you? Here's what we want you to do. We want you to communicate those questions to us through our Facebook group. So if you haven't joined the, the Fusion City Church Facebook group, we'd love for you to do that. And then if you'll just send a message through that group, uh, we'll take a look at those. We'll compile that list of questions, try to kind of synopsize a lot of those and answer as many of them as we have an opportunity to get to in the fourth and final week of this series. So that's what you've got to be looking forward to. I hope that you'll make plans to be here with us each and every week of the series. We believe that this is going to have a tremendous amount of impact on how we manage our families and specifically how we parent our children. Because we know that all of our kids are in a phase, right? Every one of us who have kids are in some phase of life. It might be a newborn, toddler, preschool. You might have kids that are out of the house. You might have adult children. Did you know that you still have to parent your adult children even when they're adults? Like that has to happen as well. There's a, there's a dynamic and a phase that exists there as well. But every phase brings with it some specific challenges, some, some focuses that we need to have during that specific phase, and some opportunities that we can leverage to help our kids in whatever stage and help our families at whatever stage uh, have the best journey of faith possible. Uh, and thinking back through the, the phases that I've experienced uh, with, with my kids, I, I was thinking about just the, like the first, the very first phase, the the time shortly after my wife and I had our first kid, we have a daughter named Emma. She's 12. We have a daughter named Leah. She's 10. Um, and I remember when uh, we were still in the hospital, actually, and uh, we're trying to, like, if, if the, there's, like, the lowest rung of parenting possible is, like, food, shelter, and clothing, right? Like, like, like if you, 
the first thing, they think the biggest, like lowest rung on the ladder for parenting is food, shelter, and water. And we couldn't get Emma to, to eat. We were doing the, the, the breastfeeding thing. And we we're having trouble latching on. And we felt like she was starving to death. And my wife is, she's screaming and crying and nervous and a wreck because she feels like she, she's not mothering well. And I'm screaming, crying and whatever because I don't know what to do. Like we're all kind of bad. We're all, all three of us are screaming and crying all at the same time. Like we can't, we can't get Emma to latch on. We tried to get her to latch on to me. That didn't work either. Like we, we were trying everything that we could think of. And we, you know, we eventually had to, we had to supplement with a bottle for a little bit. And then, you know, Aaron, the, then it all worked out. And it was great. And it was fine. And she's healthy and smart and awesome. And so it all worked out. But that was like phase one, like day one, day two. We're struggling. Like I don't know what to do. In this phase, with this newborn, and, and now here I am, and I'm, I'm a dad of a, of a preteen and a little younger, maybe even like fourth grader, and here's what I've learned. I know about as much in this phase as I knew about that phase then because every phase comes with its own particular struggles and, and focuses and things that we need to do as parents. And, and as a church, I mean, we want to, we want to partner with you in that. I believe that the best, most healthy dynamic for you and for your kid, whether they're adult or young, it doesn't even matter, but we believe that there should be a symbiotic, really healthy relationship between the church and the home. But, but oftentimes what we see is, is kind of a, a one or the other on each end of the extremes where it's, uh, hey, look, I'll do it myself. I don't need any help from anybody. I'll raise my family all by myself. And that's kind of one end of the spectrum. Like, I'll just do it myself. And then the other end of the spectrum as it pertains to the church is when your family gets all busted up and crazy, like you bring your kids to the church, like, all right, I'm done. Y'all fix them. <laughs> right? But we believe that the, the healthier balance is, is, is somewhere in the middle, right, where where there's a tremendous amount of influence at home and there's a tremendous amount of influence at the church, but, but the healthiest relationship for you, for your family, is for those two things to, to come into concert together and work together to create a healthy family dynamic. And maybe you're thinking right now, yeah, but Pastor Brian, like you don't know my family. Like, my family is a disaster. I got some good news for you. God loves your family more than you do. And I, for a lot of us, that's really hard to believe that, that anybody could love our family more than us. But the truth is that God loves your family more than you do and wants to redeem and restore and renew whatever is broken in your family. But that, that, that requires a focus and some attention and some affection on him. And it requires some hard work on, on our part in our families. We're going to talk a lot about that during this series as well. Because here's the truth about family. Now, I didn't put this on the screen, but this might be something you, you want to write down. I thought this was, I read it in a quote this week and thought it was really profound. And it said that the days feel long, but the years seem short. Isn't that true when it comes to family? Like I've had some sleepless nights followed by some long days. And the, the days feel super long. Like, oh, my gosh, will this week ever end? But then when I look back and I feel like, you know, I told you I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old. I feel like it was yesterday that I had a six and a four-year-old because the, the days seem long, but the years go so quickly. And the reality is that you and I, as parents, we, we probably have less time than we think. But here's the good news. You have less time than you think, but more influence than you realize. 
There, there is a tremendous amount of leverage that you have as a parent over the life of your kid that you may not understand. I, I did some, some scholarly research this week, and I found an article written in a psychology today. It was actually from 2012 or 2013, but I thought it was pretty profound, and I wanted to read it. It's a little bit lengthy, but we're going to put it on the screen. You can follow along. But uh, Dr. Carl Pickert, Pickart, I don't even know how to say the guy's name, he said this. He said, when another person has more vested power in the relationship, you tend to compensate for the disadvantage by scrutinizing that person in greater detail than they do you. You want to get whatever edge of understanding and influence you can to indirectly manage or manipulate the other person who has greater force of direct control. So in organizations, the subordinate knows the superior better. In peer groups, the follower knows the leader better. In society, the, mono- the minority knows the majority better. In marriage, the abused knows the abuser better. I would assume they me- he means in abusive marriages. I, 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 don't, I don't assume that all marriages are abusive. But anyway, that's, he did, apparently, in his illustration. Just needed to clarify, you shouldn't be abusing your spouse. I don't know if we need to say that out loud, but just for clarity. Uh, in prisons, the captive knows the jailer better, and so on. And then he turns his attention to parents. Parents vastly underestimate how closely they are observed and how constantly they are evaluated by their child. In the vanity of their superior position, parents prefer to think they know the child best and perhaps this is for the best. Otherwise, being the object of such keen and relentless scrutiny might make parents too self-conscious for their own comfort. Essentially, what Dr. Pickard is saying is that there is no greater influence on a child than their parents. It's greater than culture. It's greater than friends. It's greater than media. It's even greater than church. There is no greater influence on a child than their parents. And I think if I could just add a caveat to that, the extended family is probably a close second. So aunts, uncles, grandparents, anybody who interacts in the life of a child directly has a tremendous amount of influence as well. So even if you don't have kids, if you're closely connected to kids in any way in your family whatsoever, you have a tremendous amount of influence. But the time, the time goes so quickly. How, how then do we make the most of the time that we have? Well, the truth is that we're all at a phase, right? We said this already, that all of us are at a different phase in our life as it pertains to, to, to kids and family and all the other kind of stuff. And I wanted to define that, like what a phase is. Here's what, let's define phase for a moment. A phase is a time frame in someone's life when you can leverage distinctive opportunities to influence their future. So a phase is just a a season of life, a season of time where there are distinctive opportunities that can be leveraged to influence the future of a child. And so what what we do is as we identify each phase, we begin to ask the question, what do I want my kid to know at every particular phase that they're in, right? This started when they were born. Do you guys remember? You could, if, if you have kids, you remember maybe if, if they did percentiles when your kids were babies, 
Like you go to the hospital and your, your baby is born and the doctor comes in and they tell you what percentile your kid is in for like height and weight. And then all of a sudden, it's like a competition, right? Like you, they bring their kid in it's like, hey, your kid is in the 12th percentile for weight. What? She's skinny. Like she's underweight. We're like, oh, well, like, yeah, I, I didn't break five foot until I was, you know, 30. So, like, yeah, it is like we knew. Like we knew we were going to have little babies. Like that, we, that was going to happen. But, but all of a sudden you feel like you're in competition, like from day one. Like my baby's not tall enough. She's not fat. She ain't fat enough. She, she don't weigh enough. <laughs> Wrong terminology. My bad. Stay with me. Right? And then in every phase we get them into school, right, and then they tell you that then you get the grades. And your kid's making A's or B's or C's or whatever. And we as parents then begin to measure the, the, the quality of life that we believe our child to have by all of these markers, right? how much they weigh, how tall they are, what kind of grades they make, what they're good at, all of these things. And it, it kind of feels like at times they were competing. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't measure all those things. I think all those things are, are great. Like we should know if our kids are healthy we should know if they're, on, if they're on grade level at school. We should know all of that stuff. We want to be the involved parents that are aware of all those things. But I think, I think there's, a, there's a, another question. I don't want to call it a better question, but it kind of feels like a better question to me, particularly as it pertains to those of us that have committed our lives to the teachings of Christ. And the question that we have to be asking and answering is what do I want my child to know about God at every phase? Because if a phase is, an, is a time frame where there is distinctive opportunities to leverage influence on a child, then that means that at every phase, a child has a specific question that they're asking and a specific need that they are searching for in and from their parents. And so I'm gonna, I wanna walk you through just kind of like the, the, the birth through high school phases in, in broad strokes and terms. And th- there are opportunities that we can make you aware of and resources that we can provide you to help you break this down kind of year by year. And we're gonna talk about one of those at the end of the message today. But if we could just paint with, with broad strokes for a moment. The, the, the first phase that our children are gonna be in is kind of pre preschool. That's what they called it. So we're gonna call it the preschool phase. Now, the question that the kids in the preschool phase are asking is, am I able, right? How many of you guys, when, when you had a toddler or a preschooler, they were the, I do it myself kid, right? It, it was all of them. Nobody raised their hand. Now, apparently, I'm the only one that had a kid that wanted to do it themselves. That's all right. This is the interactive part of the service where you guys participate as well, okay? All right, just a caveat there. Um, All of us, I think, probably had a kid at one point that wanted to do it themselves because they're asking the question, am I able? Can I do it? What am I capable of? And the role here for parents is to embrace. That that's the word that would define that we're to embrace and embrace with them because at this, at this stage of life, our spiritual opportunity is that we become the welcome mat to the family of God. That we have an opportunity at this phase to, to usher our children, to introduce them to the family of God and what it means to belong to their heavenly father. They're asking, am I able? And we have an opportunity to teach them that they are able to do anything through the power of Christ. The second phase is, is elementary, the elementary phase. And the question that, that our children are asking at this phase are, are do I measure up? 
Right? This is where we really start to, 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 to chart those successes and failures. Remember, like in the preschool phase, we, we tell the class, all right, everybody draw a picture of a flower. And then we put all the flowers up on the wall and we say, look at all those pictures. Aren't they beautiful? And your kid gets to second grade and we say, all right, everybody draw a picture of a flower. And then we put all the pictures up on the wall and we put a ribbon on one of them. And we say, that one's the best. And all of a sudden, our children begin to understand that there's, that there's a measuring standard for success and achievement. So the question they're asking is, do I measure up? And the, the, the parenting strategy and the spiritual opportunity that we have to take advantage of here is to engage. To engage. Kids at this age, have a tr- they have all, they're interested in everything. There, there's so many different things for them to be interested in. And we have an opportunity to have conversations with them about the diversity inside the kingdom of God and how God made them specific and unique and how God made other kids specific and unique. And that different doesn't mean worse. We get to teach them about the diversity in God's family. The next phase is the middle school phase. And the question that kids here are asking is, who do I like? And the answer is usually whoever likes me, right? There's a tremendous opportunity here to establish relationship because the, the, the strategy and the spiritual opportunity that we have during this phase with our kids is to affirm, to let them know that they are loved, It's a great time to invest in your kids here, to to affirm who they are in Christ. And then the high school phase, the question uh, most of our high school students and children and kids are asking is, do I believe? And more importantly, do I believe you, parent? Are you authentic? I, I like to ask parents this all the time, if your kid ended up with your faith, would you be okay with that? Like, do I believe you? And, and the, the, the spiritual opportunity that we have as parents here is to, to mobilize, that's the word that would define our spiritual opportunity, to mobilize them, to leverage their potential for the good of the kingdom. So we're gonna, again, we're going to turn you into a resource that outlines these, these ideas in greater detail in just a few moments. But I at least wanted to show you that at every phase, there's a question that your children are asking. There's, there's a spiritual opportunity and a strategy that we as parents can employ to help keep our children focused on the right things. The phase that they are in should determine how you and I view them, how we view our children. And how you see your children shapes how you choose to guide their story. And if we're going to choose a view that we're to have of our children, I think that it should probably align with the view that Jesus had of children. What's really interesting when it comes to the the, the Christian principles is that the principles relating to children and, and actually women as well that we believe to be like common sense stuff in our culture today were revolutionary, groundbreaking ideas when Jesus introduced them. I would argue that Jesus has done more for, for women and children than any other person in the face of the planet all throughout human history. That The principles that Jesus taught that Paul would later expound on have done more for empowering women and children than any other teaching or principles ever. As you see a country or a nation's Christian emphasis and biblical worldview increase, 
that those are the cultures in which women and children thrive the most. In, uh, in Jesus' day, they, they wouldn't even name children until they were sure that they were going to live, right? Because the infant mortality rate was so high that they didn't even bother naming children half the time until they were fairly certain that the kid was going to make it. And children, and children were thought of kind of like, like, kind of like cattle. They were just a, a little step above cattle, right? Because they were, they were a property. They were a possession, Oftentimes in the culture of Jesus' day, if, if a person, a father was getting to the end of his life and he didn't like his kids very much or he thought his kids were a couple of like mess-ups and you know, weren't going to make it, they would adopt other kids just to leave their inheritance to somebody that they trusted. Like children weren't thought of in terms of value like they are today. Now, now today we hear things like you're supposed to honor your children and uh, Paul said in Ephesians 6, like fathers don't irritate your children. And we're like, well... Yeah, like don't be harsh with your wives. Don't, don't irritate your children. We think that's common sense stuff. But in Jesus' day and before Jesus' teachings, these were revolutionary ideas. And so Jesus, in Mark chapter 9, did this. It says, and he took a child and he put, them, put him in the midst of them. So Jesus is, is hanging out. He's teaching with his disciples. And he brings a kid over elevating that child to the, to the same level and status as all the adults in the area. And again, we think, oh, how cute. Jesus wanted the little kids to come over and hang out with him. This would have been like, what in the world is a kid doing over here with us? They should just be over there with all the other cows and pigs. Like they, just, they, don't, they don't belong here. Jesus elevated the status of children by bringing them into the same arena as adults. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Here's what Jesus was saying that when you engage with a child, it's like engaging with me. Because in the same way that you, adult, were created in the image of God, this child was created in the image of God as well to be an image bearer of his heavenly Father. That in the same way that you and I are image bearers of Christ, that our children are as well. And again, if that sounds like, well, yeah, this was new. It was new. They had not heard this before. This was, this was groundbreaking. And what Jesus was saying then and what he would say to us today is that you, as a parent, should see your child as an image bearer of its creator, its heavenly father, God. And the question and the charge to parents that we have to take notice of is what am I doing to refine that image in them? What am I doing to refine the image of Christ in my child? Because the goal of parenting, you should write this down, the goal of parenting is to shape your children to better reflect the image of Christ. That's the goal of your parenting, to make your kid look as much like Christ as possible, to best reflect the image of Jesus. And in order for us to do that, we have to start with the end in mind. Because at every phase, there's an opportunity for us to create a better future. 
Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says this. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Do you know why that's true? Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he won't depart from it. Do you know why that's true? Because there is no greater influence on the life of a child than who? Their parents. That's right. We can all say it together. Remember, interactive, right? There's no greater influence on the life of your child than you, parent, and the likeness of God. If our goal, if the goal of our parenting is to create in our child the ability to best reflect the image of their creator, then the likeness of God carries with it things that we should be adding into our children and things that we should be chiseling out of our children. It's an add-in and a take-away. When you think about how you view God, how you view your parents plays a major role in how you think about your heavenly Father. That the first when when you're first introduced to God, think about this. And somebody calls him your heavenly father. That's not a term that doesn't carry emotion with it. For all of us, good fathers, bad fathers, the word father carries with it a tremendous amount of emotion. When I think that I had a great, I had a great childhood growing up. I had a dad and a stepdad that both loved me and taught me and worked with me and invested in me. Like I, father for me means a lot of really good things, but for you, maybe not the case. And for those of us in the room that still have kids in the house, their view of God will start with their view of you. Now, let me me say this. I'm I'm a bit short on time, but this is important enough to say. If you had horrible parents, and that's just a reality for some people and maybe some people in this room. Listen, you're, you're you're never so far gone that you can't experience redemption and renewal and restoration. And there is, a, there is a heavenly father that wants to be everything in and for your life that your earthly parents were not. And we want to help you experience the tremendous, overwhelming love of God that maybe you didn't experience growing up. And we want to introduce you to that and make you aware of that. But for those of us in the room that still have kids under our influence, their first view of God will have a lot to do with their interactions with you. Here's the truth. You spoil your kids to death, and they'll believe that God is a fairy godmother that grants wishes and gives them everything they ask for. If you're overly harsh with your kids, then their heavenly father is the one that's just waiting for them to mess up so he can crush them. I know that that for me in in my parenting and my life, I do a really great job at pointing out the mistakes that my kids make, but not an awful, I don't do the, the best job of breathing into them the image of God that I already see increasing in them. Maybe that's true for you too. You're really great at pointing out the sins, not so great at pointing out the things that they get right. Yet at the same time, if your toddler can't share, then it is up to you, parent, Grandparents, aunts, uncles, to teach them to reflect the generous nature of God. Think about this. The environment that you create in your home, specifically when your children are very young, is how they will expect every environment outside of your home to operate. 
So, it, so parents, listen to me. I, I, got a, I got a wife that's a kindergarten teacher, so this is really near and dear to my heart. If you give your kid everything they ever ask for, and they don't understand how to accept no and not getting everything that they want, when you send them into a classroom and that teacher tells them that they can't have everything that they want, they're going to blow up and melt down. You want to know why? Because they think every environment is supposed to work the way that it works in your house. If you rule your family by force and anger and blowing up and exploding, and then send your kid into an environment where they're supposed to learn, but all they're used to doing is being disciplined out of fear, how are they supposed to operate in a social environment outside of your house? They can't do it. The environment that you create in your home of reflecting the image of God back to him has to be both what you are adding into your children and what you are chiseling out of them to mold and shape them after the image of their creator as much and as often as you are able. And it's hard. Oh, my gosh, it's hard work. Parenting is so hard. It's hard to get it right. How much do I give and how much do I take away? It's hard. The when does something being hard ever count as reason enough not to do it when it's important? And, and I pray that we're creating environments in our home where where conversations about spiritual things happen. I love, I love quotes, so I, I find a lot of them. I saw another one this week that said, if you don't let them tell you the little things now, they won't tell you the big things later. That, that requires conversation. That requires the hard work of, of investing in and spending time with your children. You know what's easy? Easy is sticking a device in their face and sending them off to their room to go be by themselves. You know what's hard? You know what's hard? Is at the end of a long day of work sitting down on the floor to play a game with your kid. Or if you have a daughter going into a room and painting her nails, I would say moms. Dad's probably not. So. I mean, you know what? Dad, you can do it too. Dad, go paint your daughters. Now just go spend some time. Invest in them. Have the conversations that matter. Because if they can't tell you what seems like trivial, insignificant stuff now, they're not going to tell you the bigger, harder conversations to have later. And another, just another practical tip. The, the, the longer you wait to start, the harder it's going to be. Because you're already creating a culture, whether you recognize it or realize it or not. And once a culture has been created and established, it's harder to turn the ship the longer that they've been in the culture. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't. Like you, there's never a point where you just say, well, I've messed them up. I just, ah, best of luck, kid. Here's 20 bucks. Like, you know, that's never the case. You never get an out as a parent. Whatever phase that you're in, if you've gotten it completely wrong up until this point, start now. And you've got harder work to do. But when has that something being hard ever been reason enough not to do it if it's important? Do the work. Put in the time and the effort. Sacrifice. Work at it. Endure the tantrum to teach the lesson. Don't give in. Now, 
right, wrong, or indifferent, I, I tell my wife this all the time. When, when, not so much of late. Our kids have done better. But when they were younger, and they'd be throwing a tent, just going nuts. And Erin, she, she's a little more compassionate than her, than her, her spouse. She was like, can, can we just, just let her have it? And I would say, I just remember my response, nobody is more stubborn than me. Probably not the best biblical mentality, but that's how I responded. But in, in, endure the tantrum to teach the lesson. Stick it out. Do the hard work. You don't have to always be their friend, and you should never always be their enemy. There, there's a balance, and it's tough, and it's hard, and it's complicated, but we can do it together. There's help to be had here, and there's help to be had through your heavenly Father and through His Son Jesus. Now, I want to want to introduce you to uh, to an app. Can we put that graphic up on the screen, please? Um, if you're a parent, still has kids in your house, specifically, even if they're out of your house, I want to introduce you to uh, an app called Parent Q. This app and this, this this system was created all around the idea. Of phases. Now, I've downloaded the app. I want to show you a little bit how it works. I can't put my phone on the screen right now, but um, I have in my app both of my kids. Uh, I can swipe between them. Um, and what it tells me at the this is this is Leah. This is my ten year old. This tells me that I have four hundred and thirty seven weeks left with her in my home. Four. She's ten. I have four hundred and thirty seven weeks for my daughter Emma. I have two hundred and eighty one. And as I scroll up or down, however you think about that, um, it gives me a, a scripture verse every day. It says, remember this, and talks. there's a scripture there, Colossians 3.13 for today. It says, think about this. What does it feel like to be forgiven? And it says, do this. What's the biggest restoration project you've ever taken on? Q&A for you and your parents. Ask your kids these questions. And then, it's, then as I keep scrolling, it says, it's just a phase. Managing emotions is a key skill for fourth graders to learn. Feel free to model healthy tools for your kid next time you're cut off in traffic or stuck on hold with the cable company customer service. (laughs) There's no greater influence in the life of your kids than you parents. We believe this, is, this app is a helpful way. It changes every single day. It gives you a scripture verse to read, something to think about, information about your kid. Uh, for Emma, uh, it, it talks, um, again, same exact thing. Think about this. Don't be surprised if your middle schooler starts to talk to you about sex, right, and tells you how to have the conversation. This is a really helpful tool. If you don't have the Parent Q app, we'd recommend that you get it. Start leveraging the time that you have in every phase with your kid right now for their benefit, for your joy. Did you know that being a parent's fun? It can be fun. It, it, should feel, it should fill you up with joy to invest in and pour in your kids. Let's do it together. All of us are in a phase. Let's not wish it away. Let's take the time to enjoy it, to invest in our kids, to make them into the greatest reflection of God's image possible. Let's pray together. Father, God, today we we know that, that for so many of us in the room, God, I believe that the majority of our church are parents. God, there's a lot of work to be done and every phase is different. But God, there are so many opportunities at every phase to speak your goodness, your glory, 
your grace, your truth into the lives of our kids. Father, help us to do it well, that they may learn to love and glorify you. We thank you, Father, that you are a father to each and every one of us that needs it. And you're a loving father that willingly gave your son so that the rest of us could be called your children as well. Father, we love you and we thank you. It's in his name we pray. Amen.